All right, welcome. This is the first episode of the Legal Fiction Podcast. I am Twitter's Kafka-esque, also known as Joe. I'm hosted by co-host Spencer, which I don't think you have a Twitter account that you're putting uh, out there or anything just yet. Twitter handle pending. Uh, <laughs> I, have clear, I have to clear it with my people here. Uh, <laughs> Your team has to get back on that, yeah, for sure. Um, well, there were some limitations and, uh, you know, questions about where i can post so yeah yeah if you want to talk about fucking uh twitter limitations there's like two people that already have legal fiction and legal fiction pod on twitter but they haven't tweeted since like 2012 so it's like great and there's like no way to like get that shit unless we be you know ip trolls man (laughs) ip trolls they're just sitting out there waiting to lay in the cut for true entrepreneurs self-starting businessmen <laughs> like ourselves that's all this shit is it's just hurting the small man mm-hmm. um podcast is we're both attorneys um we are we both are pretty new graduates from law school but we're both also like kind of hate lawyers and also are more of the lawyers that like to just talk about bullshit a lot of times when lawyers go out to drink together they like to talk about the law we don't like doing that because it's fucking annoying so what we like to talk about more is stupid shit like movies. So what this podcast is, is mainly talking about movies that have a legal aspect. That's subject to change. We might just end up talking about movies that we like and movies that we don't like. But at this point, we're going to be talking about movies that have a legal aspect to it. Um, Spencer, I don't know if you have anything to add on that. but Yeah, just a few things. And uh, especially on the hating lawyers front, uh, <laughs> you are not wrong, dear listener, to hate lawyers. Uh, <laughs> Though Joe and I are baby, baby lawyers, as they call them, uh, we are a despicable bunch. Uh, however, do not cry, shed a tear for Joe and I. We put this on ourselves uh, and went to law school. Uh, first <laughs> lesson, don't do that, listener. Uh, but moreover, yeah. the scope God, of this dude, pod, yeah, with this podcast, you know, we wanted to just sort of find an outlet for one of our passions, which is Joe rightfully pointed out is bullshit and of a pop cultural variety, maybe a little bit of news, maybe a little bit of commentary. We may go totally off topic or so remotely removed from the law that you're going to roll your eyes at. You guys really just wanted to talk about this. And you know what, listener, you will be absolutely correct. That being said, we are not here to give you uh, war stories like some <laughs> law podcasts, okay? We're, we don't think that much of ourselves or our peers for that matter. We don't find that stuff all that interesting. We're here to talk about the law in pop culture, pretty much. Uh, and as it plays out in t- ways of... Uh, uh, how we're going to start this out, we're going to talk about some little bit of legal news, um, and then we're going to get into some movie and entertainment news, and then we're going to get into the crux. Every week, we're going to be dissecting. I say that kind of like, we're not going to really be dissecting. We're going to be talking about a movie that has something legal with it, uh, and we're going to just be talking about what we like about the movie, what we don't like about the movie. We're going to be talking about maybe what is uh, accurate legally with it, what isn't accurate, and then we're also going to be telling you, does that shit really matter? Because you'll get a bunch of people be like, mm, that's not how you like object to something or that's not how you present evidence. Like, dude, it's a fucking movie. Shut up. So mm-hmm. where is he? Does that shit really matter? Like, does it actually hold anything to it? So getting into some legal news, um, it took us a while to record this pod. So some of this is a little outdated. Uh, but the first one, uh, I'm going to let Spencer take the lead on this, is Minnesota, uh, where they talked about some news that 
apparently voluntarily intoxicated rape victims cannot be classified as mentally incapacitated. Do I have that right? Yeah, that's, that's pretty much it. Uh, actually, there aren't too many facts on this, just given in part due to the woman's you know, incapacitation or intoxication, I should say, uh, and her recollection things. But she woke up in the morning, understood vaguely what had just happened the night before, flipped out, grabbed her friend. They got the hell out of there and uh, went to the hospital and the police and you know, investigation immediately ensued. Now, I would like to give you a little more of an encyclopedic rundown of things, but what's curious about this Minnesota Supreme Court opinion is, is it was it was it was published and posted, uh, you know, not too long ago. It has since been removed from the state's website for one reason or another. <laughs> They're just like, uh, yeah, look, very, we realize this is bad, so yeah, we're going to try mean, to scrub I've, the record here. I, you know what? I, I have seen uh, legal types regret certain decisions or at least uh, be a little, you know, a little bit walk sideways when confronted with the realities of what they've yeah. done. I've never seen a 404 not found on a, <laughs> on a state Supreme Court's binding decision. But obviously, this story got legs. That's with sexual misconduct in the third degree, which the prong, uh, there are various ways one could be charged for this particular felony. But this one essentially boils down to having sex with someone known to be mentally incapacitated, to which you go, okay, well, shoe fits. Uh, She's out, so done. Well, listener, (laughs) you'd be wrong. as made headlines, the Minnesota Supreme Court uh, took a look at that, and then they decided, well, how does the law define mentally incapacitated? And certainly incapacitated, per the Minnesota legislature, means that a person under the influence of alcohol, comma, a narcotic, comma, anesthetic, or any other substance, comma, administered to that person without the person's agreement, lacks the judgment to give a reasoned consent to sexual contact or sexual penetration. Rightfully made a lot of headlines and got a lot of blowback on social media for the Supreme Court unanimously. All six justices struck down this uh, fellow's conviction for sexual misconduct on third degree because they found this woman was not mentally incapacitated under Minnesota law, mainly because she administered the alcohol to herself. It was not given to her by another without her knowledge or consent. So thus, by consenting to her own alcohol use, she like, so facto consented to some skeezy bro uh, assaulting her on it, a in some awful duplex in like Paul. I don't understand how you can make this decision and it doesn't like set the precedent of like you go out and drink at any bar, some and someone takes advantage of you. Sorry, like. Well, and rightfully so, Joe. And and gosh, I wish I had that full opinion available. Thanks, Minnesota Supreme <laughs> Court. Uh, but I did jot did this little line from it. Well, it's certainly true that a common sense understanding of the word mentally incapacitated would necessitate that this is a proper application of the law, but. We're in a court of law, so a common sense approach to anything really doesn't <laughs> fucking matter. Uh, That's like if I could like encapsulate what it means to be in front of a court. Like that's it. It's like common sense doesn't exist here. Like you got to explain everything to me. But you know, big takeaway: 
obviously Minnesota Supreme Court, through whatever mechanisms or you know rationale they used, reached the wrong decision. I think we can all agree on that. I think, and yeah, that's why sure. this story resonated on it on the internet. I mean, especially in the era of Me Too, it just you know it just baffled you if you read two or three paragraphs about this. <sighs> yeah, like, wh- how? And that outrage is proper. However, take <laughs> alert. Toot toot. Uh, we are mad about this for the wrong reasons. Now, is legal formalism to blame here on this? Yes, absolutely. Uh, legal formalism, literally just being rule followers and looking at three rules and then interpreting them to an illogical or yeah. a, a result that is contrary to the intent of all those rules. Absolutely. Yeah, yeah, because like a lot of judges will say like we shouldn't make judge made law. Like if there's a law in this, it should be made by the legislature. Like we just need to follow what is set out by the very letter. You know, we can't get in the way here. But then you look at like the bevy of other cases where it's like you were fine making that decision there. Well, and, and you know, take a few things into consideration. One, this was the unanimous decision from the Minnesota Supreme Court. Minnesota, uh, for any listeners out there who are not a part of the great flyover states, is a fairly liberal and progressive area. Okay, uh, okay, let's let's not discount the listener because if they are a listener of this podcast and they don't know about Jesse the Body Ventura, I don't fucking want him here. Right? Well, you know, he was our. Uh, you know, Minnesota's given us a lot of. Uh, really inspirational political figures. If you can't tell so far, uh, one of us, the one who's not talking right now is a little bit smarter than the other. Not only was this a unanimous opinion in a state that trends liberal and in a state that is replete with very talented legal minds. I mean, this is a liberal court. They reach a unanimous verdict, but, and they could have written this decision in three paragraphs. They could have made this ruling in three paragraphs. I would have made this ruling in three paragraphs. I wouldn't have liked it, but if I decided that was the right thing to do, I wouldn't have spent 30 pages apologizing. (laughs) And that's what they did. They spent 30 some pages addressing every single possible argument brought forth by the Minnesota Attorney General who's representing uh, the state. Minnesota Supreme Court bent over backwards to address everything and just point every argument to that's literally not what the language says. They repeatedly call out the legislature to do something about this, to change the statute, to redraft it, to capture what is more a very common form of sexual assault across the country. Literally, sometimes all the courts can do. So my hot take here is that by the letter of the law, the Minnesota Supreme Court is correct. Does that make them right? No. That being said, (laughs) the real issue here is not the court. It's not formalism. It's not the state. It's not the patriarchy. It's not believing women. It's the fucking legislature. (laughs) And quite frankly- you You could also say that like, the believing women, the patriarchy, all that stuff goes into the legislature too. Cause like that inherent sort of like belief and like held value or like held not held value is what leads to them like, oh, we didn't even think of putting that in like the statute or like 
why is that a big deal to put in the statute? It's like, well, because of this fucking case now. Like, that's, oh, that's why. That's an issue I mean, because I hadn't considered this. Like, I look at this statute as uh, just poorly fucking written. And it makes me wonder, is it poorly fucking written? Or is it a reflection of sort of conservative or, as we here in the flyover states call, traditional or common sense uh, <laughs> values of being like, well, if you get drunk on your own, well, you probably deserved it. I'm not sure. I'm not sure how long ago this was drafted. But nonetheless, yeah. too often, just too damn often. Listen, by, state legislators, by and large, are idiots. Okay? <laughs> and I can say this with authority and personal experience. Oh, yeah, dude. They For sure. are idiots. It's like, and, it's like one of the few jobs, you don't need any qualifications. You can just fucking do it. And you're making shit that impacts everyone's lives. Yeah. And it can, what's, it, what's interesting about that job, well, like many jobs uh, and in different fields, it can either be the hardest thing any individual ever does or the easiest thing you ever you can do. Fucking coast. And, and most of these folks there, they may try to look busy, but they are coasting. Long story short, yeah, this is a despicable decision. The court could have fashioned some way to make the right decision. There's no doubt about that. However, my guess is them being a mostly liberal and therefore apologetic court and wanting to follow the rules as best they can ended up doing legal formalism. And, you know, they were presented this plain language of it and said, well, it's not our fault. After 30 pages, it's the legislature. Go deal with them. Unfortunately, yeah. this plea is going to, like I said, some of the biggest bunch of grifters and lazy, petty assholes you've ever seen. And yeah. the way this law got drafted, I don't, you know, I didn't bother uh, doing the Westlaw research as to when the last amendment to the statute was because I don't give that much of a shit about <laughs> But, dude, but the thing is, the legislature is like, they probably don't even know what that shit is. They probably don't even know how to search for the statutes on the government site. No, it was a fuck decision. But I think the outrage, you know, Minnesota Supreme Court deserves some, but they bent over backwards to beg the Minnesota state legislature to do something about it. The interesting thing will be, will they? All right. So um, let's go to the next topic. That is the Arkansas transgender legislation. Um, Spencer, I know you have a lot on this. Um, my kind of simple understanding is legislatures said that, uh, they would vote to not allow gender affirming health care. Governor then vetoed it. Legislature came back and overrode his veto. So that is still going into law. But I'll yes, floor is yours. The, the, the cradle of our most successful, quote unquote, liberal president, Bill Clinton, has led the vanguard on many crazy fronts. And this one is... Uh, clearly just singling out transgendered individuals. Now, just to clarify a little bit, you can still get a transitional operation or procedures or medications if you're an adult in the state of Arkansas. Specifically for children in this, this case. This is for anyone under the age of 18, yep. which by the way, might point out, you know, if I truly identify uh, a way contrary to what uh, my coaches and teachers are telling me or looking at me, um, I may actually want to do something about that sooner rather than later, but hey, yeah. whatever. it's just my life and my identity. It's just, just, you Maybe. know, everything myself, like, you know, it's just my entire like mental and like physical well-being. but 
sure, let's wait a little bit before I can handle that. Yeah, and uh, and I've scoured over the statute. It, 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 you know, it's 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 a ten page bill, and you know, all I gotta say is when you, as a lawmaker, if you find yourself having to define cross sex hormones in a statute, maybe just stop. Uh, but, you know, obviously it being the Arkansas legislature and the state of Arkansas, they just went ahead and fucking did it. Go hogs. And you're absolutely right. They, they passed this and a conservative stalwart in their governor, Asa Hutchinson. I mean, this guy prosecuted Bill Clinton's impeachment. OK, <laughs> he ain't a lefty. He, and he said, no, nah, this is uh, just kind of mean and wrong and unnecessary and and rightfully as far as he was concerned, sends a bad message uh, to people who may want to live or work in Arkansas that like, eh, this isn't a good look, gang. Uh, <laughs> it's just, I don't, I don't understand like what sort of justification this can be. Well, because according to the first sentence of this bill, Joseph, Arkansas has a compelling government interest in protecting the health and safety of its citizens, especially vulnerable children. They then go on to immediately note well, according to the American Psychiatric Association, uh, prevalence rates range from 0.005 to 0.014% for, uh, for males, and then even lower percentage for females who do not identify with their, you know, normified gender, if you will. So there's, uh, so there's that, we, need, we, we need to make some sort of action because there's that little of percentage we have that this a com- will affect. We have a compelling interest to address a minuscule uh, and rarefied occurrence. And given the size of and, well, and makeup of Arkansas, I don't think that's happening too often. But hey, you know what? We're going to make a bill and we're going to make it fucking illegal for you as a health professional to help this kid do anything about it. It's disgusting, which that's just a... Once it's again, just, it's fucking ghoul shit. Like it's yeah, it's, just, it's it's straight up like you're a fucking bad person. Like, no, no. Some, <laughs> like I'm sorry, this might identify where I more fall on the spectrum for like political and like moral beliefs. But like if you if you get up in arms about this shit and like you said, it affects that small of a percentage and you're literally singling out that small of a percentage on something that is their own mental and physical health. Like just why do you care? Fuck off. Well, it's just some shit kicker from Fort Smith or Yaleville uh, coming out there after seeing something on Breitbart or <laughs> or something even stranger out there being like, uh, you know it probably is. It's probably the fucking local AM radio in that uh, in that area, too. That's probably the worst of it. All right. Uh, long story short, uh, the true courts are truly tyrants, but the true tyrants are these little shitty assholes with uh, blue blazers from men's warehouse. Uh, <laughs> I'm going to move into some movie and entertainment news. A lot of the shit that I watch is just slop. A lot of times it's slop. I'm like, just feed me. I'm a pig. Give me the slop. I'll watch it. <laughs> Other times it's like, what is this? Uh, in that vein, uh, uh, a couple weeks ago, the Snyder Cut came out. It's like, like I, I think I said this to you in private. I really appreciate that Zack Snyder is the kind of like director that's just like, what's my style? My style is dudes rock. And yep. I'm going to make a movie and where they do. dudes they rock, rock for the whole movie. But 
God damn, man, we don't need four hours of slow-mo and Jesus imagery of some dude. I get it. Superman's basically Jesus. I mean, look, like again with Zack Snyder, like he seems like a really cool dude who like he has a vision. He's like, I'm going to do it. I'm going to go for it. And I like that. But the Snyder Cut, it was better than the Whedon product that was released a couple of years ago. But it still was just to me, I'm like, it's just a good guy fighting a bad guy and the good guy wins in the end. That's all I kind of got from it. Uh, and there's some imagery, there's shit out there. And the whole fucking thing, they did a preview with Joker saying, we live in a society. And then that wasn't even in the fucking movie. <laughs> uh, could have used more Joker content. Uh, I'll admit, I'm only uh, two and a half hours through that four hour <laughs> schlog. That to, it has taken me a total of about a month to get to that point <laughs> because every, about 15 minutes in the, every viewing, regardless of what time of day or how much I've had to drink at that point, I suddenly get onset hangover just by <laughs> how he shoots it. That being said, yeah, to Snyder's credit, uh, he's such a he can be such a controversial figure within film, but I'll, I'll give him credit where it's due. He has a vision, he sticks to it it looks very well done. He's a great yeah, stylist. Sure. Now, whether or not you agree with that style or aesthetic, that's a different discussion altogether, but you can't fault him for, for sure. his stuff looking like shit. He's <laughs> intentionally making this painful for you because there's a point to it. And I will say shout out to Zack Snyder because he is a Midwest boy. All right, so let's get into the bulk of our episode here. Like we mentioned, this is legal fiction. We're talking about movies. The movie this week, I mean, gotta be the most well-known legal movie in the world, right? Liar, Liar, yeah, starring easy, Jim Carrey. Easy. Yeah. Easily the best-known legal movie. Um, so first, we have a basic plot summary. Um, it starts off, I will say, I appreciate this about older movies compared to what now. There's like a foreplay part to getting into these movies. Now, mm. when you click on movies on Netflix, it's like, yo, movie's starting right now you better be in your fucking seat like and yeah, like, man, we're gonna we're gonna string out these credits we're, we're gonna give the fifth supporting actor or actress his or her due and we're gonna have some sort of pleasant symphonic sound over there that we paid a scorer about like eight hundred dollars to do Dude, with liar liar it's like here's the writer here's the producer here's the director here's who it stars here's who's the dolly grip in the like beginning. And I, I think I think it's uh, I think important that we recognize the best boy or girl <laughs> uh, in the opening. I, I do. Uh, you know, that's representation and uh, solidarity. Uh, my <laughs> solidarity forever. It starts off, we're in LA. Fletcher Reed, played by Jim Carrey. It starts off with a very sort of like typical lawyer joke where the kid is like, what does your dad do for a living? And he's like, he's a liar. And they're like, oh, no, you mean lawyer. And it's like, ha, ah, I get it, because lawyers lie all the time. There, It goes through just kind of like, it sets up our characters, um, which I will say, this kid, a perfect 90s movies kid. Oh, He's got yeah. the perfect hair for a 90s yeah, movie I, kid. Yeah, I was just going to go with the hair. Like that, oh, that hair my is... God. I got such a fucking wave of nostalgia watching the opening to this where I'm like, that's the hair I had. Mm -hmm. That's the shit I wore. Like, that is 90s to a T. It's so, just a shame that Caster Troy assassinated him in Face Off. Uh, <laughs> you know, I mean, a kid has a rough end at the end of this. Uh, <laughs> so we go through and like his son is, obviously he, he wants his dad's love and his dad does love him, but 
kid doesn't see that because he's always gone. When they first introduced the mom, I was like, where the Maura fuck Tierney. have I seen this woman before? Maura Tierney, my friend. And like, I'm going to take the mic from you a little <laughs> bit here. Uh, Maura Tierney, real heads know. Maura Tierney dates back to at least my first familiarity with her and my sexual awakening as a child was uh, watching her on NBC's underrated and under-celebrated sitcom news radio starring Dave Foley. <laughs> the late Phil Hartman, rest in peace. And what many people forget, Joe Rogan, his first, oh, uh, his first Dude. big role Love. and Andy Dick. I don't want to start podcasting. We're not going right to be our fellow podcaster here, but, but uh, Joe Rogan, you are not invited on the podcast from here. And on Joe, out. if you do somehow get invited to the podcast, bring money and bourbon. Thank you. <laughs> they are divorced. Clearly, Jim, his wife. Clearly. <laughs> very clearly divorced, but it's like a very amicable sort of relationship. Like she gives him shit for not being like good, and I think cheating on her is like what she talks about too. Yeah, like there's a point. vague reference to a past infidelity that made my uh, note, but I didn't pick up as a kid. Yeah, yeah, and like she is being good at letting him co-parent, even though he fails at that. Like there is still some sort of like they have a very, I would say, even though he fails a lot those two still have a healthy relationship as co-parents in this situation. Oh, otherwise it wouldn't be a comedy for sure. <laughs> <So>. <laughs> then new guy shows up, which I was like, Wait. I was like, who's that? I was like, that's fucking Carrie L L's Elwes. Elwes. Which dude, who could play a fucking dingus better than oh. Carrie Elwes? Like, yeah. and I'm not saying that because he is a dingus. I'm saying that because he's the fucking man. Like he plays Everything that he does so fucking well. Like he's like, you want me to be Robin Hood? I'm going to be Robin Hood. You want me to be a doctor in the Saw movie? I'm going to be you that doctor. You want me to doctor. saw my arm off? You want me to saw my arm off? I'll do <laughs> like, it. Like, like, oh, sorry. Scratch <laughs> that. Yeah, we'll get that out of post. <laughs> but like, he's one of those dudes that uh, there's a common core of actors that I always see that are like, yeah, I'm a really good actor, but I want to be in a horror movie. I want to be in a shitty comedy. I want to be in this, dra like, this drama. I'm going to do it. Carrie, there's other people that come to mind, like they're just going to do what they want and people will recognize them for being a good person. Then we have him taking his son to his office the next day because he, uh, he like had to miss something. And that this is like, not, like if I could encapsulate 90s humor writing, that is what this is. What we would now call ableism or weightism <laughs> or various isms now yeah. in a more enlightened time. That's what I mean by like uh, 90s where it's just like, we're going to make fun of this person for being fat, this person for being ugly, and this person, like, it's just so like, yeah. we're now like, you'd have to write it in such a way where you couldn't mention any of that. A couple things. One, that office, granted, it's the 90s, still beautiful. Uh uh, just a few stray observations I'd like to make. Fletcher has his own dedicated assistant who is boss. And we're going to talk about her more later. She fucking rules, dude. Yeah, I don't know. She's good. She's good. Has his own dedicated assistant as an associate, I'd like to point out. He's still <laughs> an associate with his yeah, own. Do they ever mention how many years he's been there? Oh, no, no, no. They don't get into that. That's not important to the laity, but I would guess at least three or four. Uh, okay. that, that's my feel on this. He's got a uh, he's got enough uh, of a leash to kind of just roll on and be kind of high on the hog and kind of a big swinging dick. Pardon the parlance. But uh, yeah, no, I mean, like very 90s, uh, very big open office that he owns as an associate, whereas in reality, 
you are an associate, even if you are near partnership, you are in a hole uh, for the most part. Uh, you do not have your own assistant usually, uh, nor do you have many of the you know, liberties and whatnot that he takes. But as we said at the onset, uh, we're not here to overly critique. We're just here to point out and sort of appreciate uh, dissonance between representation and reality and uh, revel in it as much as one can. Gotcha. But if I may uh, gild the lily here, Joe, and move forward with the plot, you know, he uh, brings Max, precious Max with the hair, that's what I'm going to call him, uh, into the office uh, because they're supposed to go to the Dodger game. And Which, this kid's a real baseball fan because he mentions Nomo and Canseco. Yeah, yeah, and that was an interesting tie also as a someone with an unhealthy relationship with the Los Angeles Dodgers dating back to my childhood. Uh, yeah, that kid's a nomo head. Like, this is like peak Dodgers, like 90s Dodgers, the best Dodgers teams that never did anything in the playoffs. And uh, I just don't understand the, the – there's that scene like, oh, play baseball, I'll be nomo and you can be Jose Canseco. And <laughs> They're supposed to go to the Dodgers game, and then he lucks into a big money divorce case last minute Which, from devious partners, dude, and they are so queen, devious. Queen Jennifer Tilly. Peak, peak Tilly. I think this is peak Tilly. Obviously, I'm a horror movie fan, so like all the Chucky movies that she's been in, I love her right. in that. But like, she is just like, I, I when people are like, oh, this actor only plays one type of person, I'm like, yeah, dude. Like you only have one type of job and you do that every day. Like when an actor finds something they're good at, they do that. So they get paid. And that's what Jennifer Tilly does. She is perfect at playing the kind of person that she does on screen. And that's exactly what she does in this movie. And the other thing I have to say about this is I thank whatever Lord you may pray to every night that I do not practice family law because holy shit, would that suck? Yeah. Like the stuff that they're talking about, I'm like, thank the Lord, I do not practice family law because I, I would off myself. But, uh, and I, there are a few family law considerations that are juicy to this movie or at least <laughs> curious that we'll get into. But yeah, long story short, he gets tasked this. They end up not going to the game. And tragically, you know, Fletcher walks in with a big couple boxes of case materials. And thus we get our premise or conceit of the film. Max, having been jilted by his father's job and lies once again, goes sullenly to a birthday party at which Fletcher does not show up to because he's busy uh, stitching the partner. Uh, the line, how would you like to make partner right now, really just gives me the creepers to this day. <laughs> and he asks for his birthday wish for his father not to lie for one day. He blows out the candles. And thus, our hilarious 90s comedy is born. A lawyer who has to tell the truth, which Jim Carrey plays off with a plume. Yep. So like you mentioned, son makes the wish, immediately comes true. Tells the boss, your sex wasn't that good. He gets thrown out of, the, out of her office. Uh, he's like, what the hell? I don't get it. He wakes up the next day. He, well, he's not getting it, obviously. Yet. He's like, why did I say that? Why did I say that? Then <clears throat> he goes to the court. Uh, he gets in front of this judge, Jason Bernard. Sorry. I just yeah, right my man. Which I was like, dude, this guy has been a judge before. Where have I seen him? LA look Law! Up. I looked it up. I was like, 
exactly. I knew this guy was a judge before. I was like, maybe at first I was like, maybe he just like really fits. Maybe he just looks like a judge. Definitely looks like a judge. He pulls it off. Robes or not, he's stately. He's austere. He's principal. <laughs> oh, yeah, wait, God, I mean. Say so, yeah, RIP, this was his last movie. Um, he died on the freeway of a heart attack before this film actually hit theaters. This yeah. is like one of his last acts was playing Judge Stevens. It starts off in court. There's some kind of usual banter where the judge is like, hey, how y'all doing? And Jim Carrey, just since he can't lie, he just answers, honestly, I had a sexual encounter last night that was not that good, which the judge kind of <laughs> says himself that he doesn't fuck good anymore uh, i think he says something to the effect of well we've all been young <laughs> yeah he's kind of just like yeah dude enjoy it now i can't fuck at all anymore sort yeah. of and it's like okay but like yeah. which it kind of goes into my thing with this movie where like yes it makes that he can't lie but he also just becomes one of those like brutally honest dickheads at the same time where it's like someone might not ask him like you either have to lie or tell the truth question they might ask him like like a question where he could say any sort of answer. And he's just like, no, nah, I'm going to be honest. You're, you're a terrible person. And it's like, <laughs> but you could have said the truth and still not said what you just said there. <laughs> like, yeah, he gets the case kind of, he has to come back to court for the actual trial at this point, which he goes back to his office. And we get kind of a rehash of that first scene where he was like, hey, you lose weight. Hey, you look good. Where he's like, you look like shit. You're fat. Like he talks to people just like being brutally honest. And that's where I am like, that guy didn't ask how he looked. He just said, hey, and you said, hey, you're fat. Yeah. Yeah. uh, He gets back. He has a very typical sort of lawyer's office with the books in the back, which if you're listening to this and you ever go see your lawyer and they have a treatise or any sort of like code in the back, they don't need that. They've never opened that. They've never looked at that. They go on their computer. That's just to make them look cool. Mm-hmm. Um, well, I don't know. If they're under the age of 50, that's true. If they're, <laughs> if they're an older guy, like I guarantee you, they ain't looking shit up on the computer. They're, they are going to take <laughs> their damn time uh, looking up that stuff. And that's costing you money. <laughs> so here's the theory. So then he goes to, he takes a pen and the pen is like, blue i think and he's like this pen but he can't lie so he tries to write it and his hand can't write it so it starts writing over him i have a theory okay this movie and the evil dead exist in the same movie universe well think about it ash has a possessed hand because his friend reads the Necronomicon in the first movie, but fucks it up so badly when he's trying to read the, the translated text that it starts the possession. Okay. This kid okay. didn't really know what he was doing when he wished. He just wished. So the curse upon Fletcher just came. He didn't like make a sort of thing. So he has been possessed by a lesser form of what is in the Evil Dead and his body is possessed to act against him. I think there is a continuation and somewhere out there on YouTube or anywhere, Vimeo, whatever, there could be a fan-made movie where these two movies coexist in the same cinematic universe. Child who played uh, Fletcher Reed's son goes on to actually be Devon Sawa in Idle Hands <laughs> uh, and has to sever his own 
devilish evil hand. That's another movie that could exist in this cinematic yep. universe. Yep. I think all three, I think that, that there is a continuity <laughs> there. And uh, I want to live in that. I want to live in that moment. I, it, it seems nicer to, I mean, sure, bad shit happens, but at least it's sincere compared to the modern day. Yeah. So. He can't lie. He can't write a lie. He can't do anything. He goes to meet his son, which, side note, he has a car phone, which is, hell yeah, dude, that's so 90s to have a car uh, phone. <laughs> and, uh, like, okay, tangent, I'm going to talk 90s style. This movie is playing it. Uh, I mean, it is a time capsule. I, everything from the like faux Armani suits. I can't, I'm not certain they're Armani, but at the time there were suits and then there were Armani suits and that's pretty much all there was. Uh, am I right or am I right? That was like the <laughs> brand of suit. And, the you know, fucking, the double breasted suit oh, too that he had on. with the And with the pant legs just kind of poofed out. Oh, Jesus. Um, and the, everyone, the, everyone like tried so much to look like David Byrne at that fucking concert in the 90s when they just had the fucking big box suit like walking around. Up, uh, w- with shades of Donald Trump too, with the like super wide Trump power ties. <laughs> uh, so yeah, so he goes to meet his son. His son can't undo the wish because in this movie's sort of logic, he meant it when he first wished it. And well, now don't he- question the gods here, Joe. Don't oh, no, 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 no. This, like I said, this exists in the same universe as Evil Dead. And he, you need to have a sort of definite sort of action to end it. And here the son's like, I just don't mean it. So it can't end. So uh, I forget. Oh, he, he's then speeding back. He just tells the cop every single sort of reason that he uh, could be pulled over. And then he also has like fucking, what, 100 unpaid parking tickets? I have unpaid parking tickets. <laughs> it's just, it's just... Just delightful because I can actually relate to that. I think you, dear listener, can relate to it. Of uh, if a cop's ever pulled you over and says, "So do you know why I pulled you over?" You just wouldn't be like, "You know what? Here's everything I've ever fucking done. <laughs> fucking let's go, let's do it." Uh, and yeah, and his car jump cut to the impound lot, which is also a tasteful uh, take uh, in terms of filmmaking. I'm like that's just efficient. The God Maura Tierney comes back, best ex-wife possible. Uh, to help him get his car out of hock. And it comes back to him, this slick, late 90s model Mercedes, because of course, <laughs> even though an, only an associate is still bumping around LA in a, in a Mercedes, like champagne colored Mercedes convertible. And he's got that scratch on it. And Which I brought up with this. He's like, you scratched my car. And he's like, what are you going to do? He can't lie. So he's like, I don't know, nothing. Because it's not with the trouble. If that is not an on the dot explanation of small claims court where it's like, it's too much of a fucking headache to deal with. I'm going to spend so much money to take you there that it's not even going to be worth it. Yeah. The scratch is probably worth like anywhere from like, like five or $800 to maybe two grand, depending on what you're talking. So I'm going to sue you in small claims court over this and I'm going to exert, you know, hours and hours uh, to like submit exhibits, develop my case to make show up to appearances if you even show up to defend yourself, go through a half-ass trial with a disinterested judge. Even if I get a verdict, then I still have to collect this from you. And let's be real. If this guy is working in a, you know, diesel stained like work shirt at an impound lot, he might be judgment proof. So good luck collecting. Like what the point? Uh, you're absolutely right. That is like, it, it's like, yeah, small claims courts, they're, uh, 
if you want it, uh, if it's worth it to you, and also good luck doing anything with the judgment. And here's another thing on his wife, uh, played by Maura Tierney. Her name is Audrey in the movie. She she says in the movie, like, I had to miss a meeting to come get you here. Do they ever say what she does in the movie? It's not really important to the plot, but I was just like, she had to miss a meeting. Do, do we ever hear what she did as a job? We, we, we know it, it is totally absent from that. I was actually <laughs> obsessed over this. And yeah, that speaks to a time where, well, it's not important what the woman does, I suppose. But uh, like, I, I think they said they might have said like Grant meeting or something like that. Here's the whole thing. They've been divorced for two years at this point in the movie. And he makes this whole big speech because she's going to move to Boston with Carrie. Um, Jerry, Jerry. Sorry. Carrie is the actor's name. (laughs) He makes this whole big speech and he's just going to win her back in a day. Like they've been divorced. He cheated on her. He was a shitty parent. He was a shitty husband. But one day he's going to win her back, which I was like, again, that's the whole thing. I was like, it's a movie. Shut up, Joe. Just enjoy it. But like, I was like that they've been divorced for two years. What is all of a sudden making? And maybe it's because she never wanted to get divorced. I don't know what the thing was like. She just had to because of how shitty of a person he was. She can do better. <laughs> there. Uh, oh, 100 percent. That's all I'd say. And she can definitely do better than Jerry. Uh, I just <laughs> so. OK, so then we go back to the firm. He gets pulled into a meeting really quick about, hey, we're all talking about why, whether you should be partner. And obviously he can't lie. And Miranda, she's learned about this so far. She's like, oh, he can't lie. So I'll bring him in. He'll just say everything with everyone. It's a very like comedy, especially 90s comedy, where he's just like, he yeah. says shit about everyone and just roasts them. Roast I will point out, I paused it at one point. The dude who was playing the guy who had the hairpiece, I don't know if he actually wore a hairpiece in real life or if he just was a very good actor. But dude, it, it looked like it cut deep when he told them that his hair was fake and everyone can tell i was like that dude's hurt that dude is hurt that you just said that because like everyone else was like ah laughing and he was just like huh. yeah it's true it is fake and very <laughs> 90s form uh a little yeah you know, doesn't age quite well in that the only like for example it, as he's going down this row of burns or roasting of management partners like the ones <laughs> at the table making decisions which puckers my butt up just thinking about in reality and as he's going down the line you know he picks out the lone black figure in the room and just calls degenerate and goes right next to the only young woman and says slut and it's just like it does not age well so then he goes he has to go to trial because trial is still that day in the afternoon shit show it's a fucking terrible day as a lawyer like all this shit in one day so he has to go to trial. So then they get into the whole thing of the tape that essentially records her cheating on the husband. And that was the one part we can bring this up later of like, is this sort of legally true? But I was like that. You didn't know about this before trial. Like this wasn't <laughs> like this, this, this wasn't produced before trial. Like, come on, dude, you're on the way to make partner. You look kind of like a shitty lawyer right now. <laughs> certainly know that was coming. You yeah. certainly know that was coming. Uh, but uh, it, it makes for good stagecraft, <laughs> nonetheless. So so then he uh, Fletcher tries to get the case delayed. He yeah. beats he beats the shit out of himself in the bathroom. So An that he inspired can't. performance, by the way. What are you doing? I'm kicking <laughs> my own ass. Do you mind? Like, I mean, honestly. Who amongst us have not thought to themselves, <laughs> having seen this movie years ago, 
well, one way to get out of this, I could just go to the bathroom and beat the shit out of myself. That's, that sounds way more optimal than what I'm about to do. (laughs) So, so then, but then the thing is he gets back to the court and the judge is like, are you able to proceed? And he's like, yes. And I'm like, "Eh, it wouldn't actually be a lie to say you couldn't proceed at this point. Yeah. Because you know, in your head, you you have to talk this way and you know in your head that you're also beat the shit. Like it wouldn't be a lie to say, no, I can't proceed. So then we get into the whole thing of, he starts questioning his own client, Jennifer Tilly. He starts treating her as hostile, essentially. The other side says, hey, what the hell are you doing? I'm like, eh, legal point. You actually can treat your own witness as hostile. Damn but straight. It, it's it's kind of the whole Hollywood movie legal point where there's a cool Perry Mason moment at the end where he's like, wait a minute, you were actually underage when you signed this prenup. So actually, this whole thing shouldn't have gone to court. And like, which, again, is another thing. I'm like, why is this even in trial? You should have known this before. OK, OK. And, and here. OK, so like that is a Perry Mason moment. And it's a brilliant <laughs> one, too, as someone who's watched some Perry Mason, like during daytime TV, when he was <laughs> uh, uh, just sort of a dirtbag and unemployed. Believe me, I can appreciate it. And, you know, I watched this reviewed this movie uh, with my girlfriend and she just like, like, you would have seen that. You would have figured that out by now. And I go, I don't know. Would you? <laughs> I, I can actually see you would see the birth certificate. You know, you would see like the marriage license. You may not think to actually cross check those things unless you're client, like of all of the doc of you're going through for her to say that I'm not going to be a 30 something divorcee on welfare and him being like, wait a minute, I thought you said you were such and such age. And and she goes, no. And then he puts that together quickly. That's a good Perry Mays moment. I like that. I think that would have been overlooked by most attorneys, not all, but most uh, and the process. So then obviously there's a whole thing. He, he gets the case in her favor because she was underage when she signed the prenup. So by contract law, that's null and void can't enforce it. So she gets all this share, but then she shows how she's actually a bad person because she in wants case to, we were unclear. Yeah. In case you're unclear that she was a bad person. She's like, I want to contest custody because I can get more child support. And it also shows how she's just a shitty person to her children because she rips him away from her husband when he's trying to hug him, makes him leave. And he goes, he, he essentially wants the judge to throw that out. And the judge is like, nope, and I'm going to hold you in contempt of court, which then he goes to he goes to jail and we get the boss. Greta bails him out, uh, which, again, we've mentioned fucking boss. Like dime too. <laughs> She she bails him out even after he basically told her, like, when she asked straight because she knew he couldn't lie about his her raise. He was just like, yeah, I just didn't pay you because I didn't want to. She still bails him out. He has at this point missed his promise to hang out with uh, his son, Max, that night. He recognizes that Max is like his biggest priority in life. So he goes after him, but they're already at the airport. So it's a very Hollywood end of movie where. Their, their plane is going down the runway. He runs through security. He hijacks a staircase, essentially, drives it all the way up, keeps in line with the plane, signals them, then throws a shoe at the pilot. So the pilot stops, which is the one thing I put out. I was like, this dude is in jail. This dude is disbarred. 
this dude at least suspended. Like this dude is not a lawyer for a well, good amount of time. Post nine eleven, that dude's oh. black sided. This like, dude's I'm, I'm he's sorry. going to Gitmo. Yeah, <laughs> we're done here, sir. Like they meet him, they talk with him with everything. He restates how Max is his biggest love. He he wants to be there for him, spend more time with him. His wife decides we're not going to move to Boston. We're going to stay here in LA. We're going to be with them to try to co-parent, which is again, this whole thing. I'm like, how did he win her back so quickly when you got fucking Carrie Elwes here? Who's a fucking awesome dude. Who's been doing everything for you. But he's such uh, a goon, <laughs> such a goober. Like he plays it so well, just, just tight, just one. Uh, like, so then only a woman uh, who just, doesn't have great options. <laughs> so we flash forward to the ending of the movie where it's Max's birthday again. He makes a birthday wish. Lights go out. Lights come on. Fletcher and Audrey are kissing. He says, did you wish for us to get back together? Because we know that your wishes always come true. And he's like, no, I just wish it f- for rollerblades. And then it just shows, oh, they're all happy family again. Perfect 90s movie ending. Perfect Hollywood movie ending. But how did he win her back so quickly when he'd been a piece of shit for so long? just interesting legal considerations. The first one that bothers me is just that it seems like Fletcher is on a pretty strict visitation schedule with his son. Yes. So that divorce must have gone pretty bad. Or <laughs> must have been like fight pretty contentious. Because seems to have pretty much sole custody and he's a lawyer. So whatever happened there, pretty bad deal. Uh, <laughs> may not have even been fit to be a parent for a court to be like, yeah, no, 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 no. You uh, get to see the kid uh, when she decides. Pretty rough. Yeah, he, he he definitely, like, maybe he was just out of law school and he didn't have a lot of money. But, like, he did not get the best deal on that sort of divorce decree. So, like, he did not have, like, the best attorney. <laughs> I mean, I just, I mean. Uh, or he know, was just so, a, a total piece of shit and nothing yeah, was in it, his face. It's favor. one of those because, you know, like, I can imagine Tilly's character, oh, so you've been through a divorce. So how's your custody situation? Well, I don't actually have any custody, but I'm going to do shit for you. Trust me on this one. Don't do as I do. Do as I say. Exactly. So. Well, and to be fair, learn from the benefits of my mistakes. I guess yes. that's a nice way of looking yes. at it. That's, that's basically the plot of the movie. <laughs> yeah. But as we said, like every legal movie has like legal sort of like parts of it where like, is this accurate? Is it not? And it's one of the most annoying things when you're watching a movie with someone where they're like, mm, that's not how they'd actually do that. Like that would never happen in real life. And most of the time it's going to be like, dude, shut up. It's a movie. I don't care. <laughs> Other times you're like, and maybe it's because you're someone who works in that part, but you're like, what? Like that would never happen. So there's a couple aspects of this movie, which I mean, the first big thing that I had from this movie is it's an awesome movie. I liked it. But this sort of case, in my opinion, it would never go in front of a judge. Well, I've got some notes, Joe. (laughs) I've got some notes. One, there is a prenup on the table, which makes very clear uh, for those of you not who've never watched a TV show or a movie at all. uh, You don't need to go to law school to know that a prenuptial agreement is essentially a contract that divvies out what you're entitled to in the event of separation or divorce. And within this prenup was explicitly a infidelity clause from what we are led to believe, meaning you cheat on me, you get nothing. Okay. Done. 
Now, there are a number of things that you cannot put into a prenup clause or a contract. However, infidelity has, you know, it being marriage and it being an ancient tradition, uh, one with its times, let's just, shall we say, old fashioned values <laughs> attached to it. My beef is that at the day of trial, when they show up to fight this, and also, uh, you know, Fletcher, knowing he can't lie, like just, they say, all right, we're willing to give you a $3 million settlement right now. We have evidence of you plain as day. Yeah, uh, we've it's, got a PI, it's... we've got audio, like, I mean, we've got, uh, I mean, we've got a late night Cinemax audio tape of <laughs> what you're up to here. And we had an HBO real sex recording. There we go. Oh, well, oh, that would have gotten weird. And $3 million or, and I might be fudging the figure, but it's multiple. I think, I think that's what it was. It's like, dude, yeah. if you offered me 3 million, I'd be like, fuck yeah. Take it. Yeah. Take it. <laughs> Take it. But no, no, I guess this guy is worth more than that. So it's worth uh, letting it ride, if you will. What is interesting though, is, uh, you know, in the slim majority of courts in this state, uh, when it comes to divorce proceedings, it doesn't matter whether someone committed infidelity, maybe not for the purposes of enforcing a prenuptial, but whether or not the divorce goes off, it's called no fault. Most states have no fault statutes for divorce, wherein if one spouse decides, hey, I wanna get a divorce, and it can just be for quote unquote, irreconcilable differences. You know, just like this, yeah, it's not working out, man. Uh, what did shock me in just watching this movie and thinking about it was like, actually, but that's, I just assumed that that was the uniform rule. But there are many states where like, nope, you've got to prove why you need that divorce. And just like, oh, damn, okay. Well, uh, <laughs> I thought we got a little bit further than uh, we are, but uh, that was a little bit jarring for me. I don't know about you, Joe, but that's, uh, I just kind of assumed that. It, it was- seems, seems weird to be like, I don't want to be married to this person anymore. And it's like the court has to be like, well, why? It's like, why do you care? Damn I don't right. want to be married anymore. Yeah, that simple. That simple. But yeah, man, you and uh, yeah, she's got a prenup. She's got to get out under. And uh, frankly, I mean, that, it, it borders on malpractice, Fletcher or his firm, to not take that settlement earlier and take this thing to trial under a theory of, well, you were a neglected spouse thrown into the arms of another man kind of <laughs> deal. It's like, okay, well... Even if it's just like, I could just like point to the contract. Yeah. You're like, well, it says this. So, so. And that's, probably- that's, that's the biggest thing for like legal wise. And I don't want that to be like, I didn't like saying like, I didn't enjoy this movie because I like this movie a lot, but like, that's the biggest thing is like the prenup where it's like, it's written in the contract. And two is the recording where it's like, you would have known about that. You would have known that it was going to come up. So why don't you just take the deal and you don't have to go through all this bullshit? Where one, she's going to get billed a fuck ton. Oh yeah. On top of this, listen, and- he missed a ball game with his son on a on a, <laughs> for a for a Dodgers game on his birthday. You trust that he's billing for that entire day? So oh fuck yeah, he's billing travel time to his son's school and back to the court. Like, well, I mean, I would too in that situation. <laughs> he is he is billing her for everything. So it's like, that was the one thing where I was like, legally, I'm like, yeah, like, dude, this would have never been a case. It would have been settled. You would have taken that deal. You would have been done. And, Side but, note, I want to just get this into the record. We're, we're both fans of Jennifer Tilly. I just think it is worth remarking that she has a certain 
energy or affect that is truly a je ne sais quoi. I cannot compare her to any other actress <laughs> that I've encountered. Like it, she is unique. Uh, and like, I always enjoy whenever there's a movie or a TV show, it's like, oh, Jennifer Tilly, great. Like I'm excited about it. Yet I don't know why, because it's probably because yeah. she's such a rarefied talent. But at the same time, in being so unique, I'm kind of put off by her. And I don't know if it's her voice. Or she has a very like unique voice, obviously. But I think it's also a thing like she's she's an actor that's just going to be like, I'm going to do what what I want. And whether this movie is like considered a groundbreaking movie or just a piece of shit, I don't care because I'm going to have fun. I'm going to play that part to a T. You know what, Joe? That that makes a lot of sense. And it makes me appreciate her more. Like, uh, I, I don't mean this pejoratively, but she is a master of camp films. Like, it's just oh, like, 100%. it's going to be, yeah, like, like, no, no, no. I am, uh, I'm not Meryl Streep. <laughs> I'm Jen Tilly. And I'm just going to eat this screen, whether it's horror or comedy, I'm going to do it. And, and, it's, and it's like the difference where like you can have really good performances in camp movies, but they'll they'll never get that sort of like Academy appreciation because they are camp movies. Those are like the legal things that like yeah, are it, sort it, of yeah. like not true to what would happen in the legal world. But my sort of feeling on that is, does it matter to the movie? No, yeah, probably not. No, no, no. No. Like, does it matter that there are like the courtroom is packed with people, even though <laughs> we don't see any like interaction between any of the parties and them? They're just here for a divorce case, just, just to watch a divorce case. Yeah. I, I mean, like, I don't know about you, Joe, but before becoming an attorney, I would just prowl around courts looking for a good <laughs> show. Like, I would just go. go sit in small claims court and just see what was coming up on the fucking okay. docket that day. Anyhow. So, that was one thing where it doesn't matter to me. Like, it's a fun movie. I think you, you would agree with me that there are some wonderful performances in this movie. Jim Carrey, fantastic. This is him, Pete Carey. Oh, this is, this is like early Carey to a T. Yeah. Like, he's, and, he's kind of matured. He's done different things. We've, with the age of, like, social media, we've seen that the dude's actually, like, out there in real life, too. Going down the list, Maura Tierney, wonderful yes. in a film role. I'm glad she got that. I'm glad she got that paycheck. Uh, good job. Uh, the kid, uh, Max with the hair, um, crushed it. Way to go, kid. So many great character actors uh, like, oh, throughout. Yeah. I, I mean, from the, the managing partner at the firm, uh, who you've seen in Lord knows how many things, too. He, he is like the face of like, I've seen that dude. In so many movies, but what is he? Every movie I see him in, I like. He's in the Dude Pantheon. And <laughs> he, I mean, it, he, is, he is the dude. He is the Dude Pantheon. And uh, other supporting actress, uh, the, the woman who plays Fletcher Reed's assistant, who plays Greta, she just is boss. She's locked down from start to finish. And, you know, from someone who, you know, in theory has an assistant, I would. I would do unforgivable things to my podcast <laughs> partner here to have her working with me because she's just on top of it. Oh, and wonderful. And everything locked down. Did her calling out her own boss for being a cheapskate and duplicitous uh, w when she figured out that he couldn't lie to her about the raise. And yet nonetheless comes out to bail him out. Just like there's a sweetness and an earnestness and tenderness to her delivery of the role 
that it could have got, she could have, anyone could have played that any number of ways, that role, but she just seals it. And she, she is the kind of like paralegal or support staff that when you get to a firm, you're like, go to her because she will be able to handle anything for you. But two, do not cross her. Yes. The last actor, and I alluded to, we alluded to him earlier, rather. Yeah. Uh, just like to talk a little about Jason Bernard. If you look up Jason Bernard's filmography, it's, he certainly had a career. It spanned many decades. Yeah. Mostly no, I mean, TV. he started acting in the 60s, dude. Yeah, mostly TV uh, and in bit roles or limited roles. And like he's been in some films and whatnot. A true working man actor. Just, he just grinded. He just did what he could. Dude had talent. Uh, you know, dude clearly had ambition and dedication. He kept at it and it, he just never hit. And, I, you know, honestly, I, watching this movie, I, always this judge just oozed judge like he was the best actor in this movie like the most believable (laughs) sold it oh yeah dude like he was playing the straight man as judge like he was not goofing around like he nails it though and you know as we also mentioned earlier this was his one of his last projects he died of a heart attack tragically on the freeway uh shortly after the film was actually released and there's a dedication honor in the film credits to him and I can't think of a better judge to have at this point. You know, that, that's you're totally right. He plays thing. a judge where it's just like he ha- he he does he does everything so well. Where he like he has a little like kind of nice conversation formalities of being like, "How are you doing, counsel? How are you doing, counsel?" He knows like how to respond to certain objections, certain questions, like. He just, he plays it in such a nonchalant sort of way where it's like, he's not overly formal. He's not overly casual. He's just right down the middle. Well, and what speaks to that is like, if you watch this movie and look at him, like he's often just looking down at what's on his desk. Like, because <laughs> this this divorce case is a pain in his ass. It's on his docket. And like, God damn, we're real. This hasn't settled. All right. Let's and that's, just, that's the thing is like, he plays it so well where he's just like, a judge would see this, and the first thing a judge would do when they see this would be like, hey, how about I give you some more time to settle this fucking case so I don't have to hear it? Mm-hmm. Like, and, and that's where he does. He plays it where he's like, he's annoyed. He's like, why is this on my docket? I got 50 other cases that I need to hear right now, and you're in front of me because you guys can't settle this case. Yeah. And he plays a great conduit for the comedy while also maintaining that judicial sort of like authority. Uh, for example, when Fletcher like lying about needing a bathroom break and to, where he goes to beat himself up and he goes, can't you wait? <laughs> and he goes, well, yes, I can. But and then he goes on out, you know, that could affect uh, the ability to get an erection. And then, like, just like deadpan. Well, in that case, I better take a break myself. <laughs> like, I mean, like just small things, I mean, just small flourishes uh, when he comes back after beating the shit out of himself and he asks him. Mr. Reed, can you continue? And he says, yeah, I, yes, I can. He goes, I admire your courage, Mr. Reed. Like, I mean, like, it's very heartfelt. Like, like and, you, and you know what? You believe that judge. And then my favorite line uh, when Jim Carrey is starting to badger his own witness in Gentile, uh, yeah, like, talking, you know, just, just going after her. And, and 
you know, opposing counsel who's trying to get make sure this woman doesn't get a dime objects to the badgery. And he just goes, it is out of sheer morbid curiosity that I allow this freak show to continue. And he just kills that line. And he's not overacting. He's not underselling. He's just like, this is like, guys, it's Tuesday. Like, <laughs> and all right, fine, let's go. Let's go. And he just pulls it off with warmth, but uh, knowing winkingly humor. And, uh, you know, the, the world, uh, you know, the world was robbed of more Jason Bernard pieces. I'll, no, I'll say was, that. That was my dude. actual takeaway from watching yeah. this movie. Yeah. So and he does hold less Fletcher in contempt after court's adjourned. And I'm, I actually looked into this. I'm not sure you can do that. Should you say like in court? Yeah, of, yeah. Court's over. So like your authority, it's just sort of a, uh, you know, like once court ends, that gavel comes down, like, you know, like the magic, the spell's broken. Like at this yeah. point, I'm just a guy wearing a robe. No, I agree with you. Jason Bernard, he plays it in like a good way that a judge would like, a, go- a good judge would still have some sort of like little quips that would be like, keep it interesting in a case mm-hmm. like this, but like still show like, I'm annoyed that this is in front of me. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, so getting into the next sort of legal aspects of it, for those who haven't gone to law school, Law school is like high school all over again, where you go from high school where everyone cares way too much about what the other person is doing in their personal lives. Then you go to college where you don't give a shit about anyone besides your inner circle. Then you go to law school and it's back to that where everyone is caring about it. And there's people like, I would say probably myself and Spencer where we didn't give a shit. Like I was just like, Dude, I'm just trying to get out of this shit alive. So I, I I watched this movie and I know you did too, where it's like, what kind of a person was this character in law school? Ooh. And I mean, first person, obviously, Fletcher. Dude was 100% the person who he ratted out other people. He talked behind other people's backs. He did anything he could to sabotage someone else. So that he could get, I don't know, a better grade. He could get on any sort of law review. He could get on any sort of like team, anything he could do to seed some sort of like dissent against another person. I I agree with that, but I'm going to qualify it a little bit. He would do that while putting forth the least effort possible. (laughs) Yeah, I mean, he'd do it in like a way that he's like, I don't really care, but like so and so did this. Like, I'm just saying, I don't really give a shit because I'm just a cool dude. You can trust me. Yeah, for you non-law school types, uh, if you've ever worked in college or in high school or grade school, whatever, on a group project, <laughs> he's not the alpha lead who's trying to keep everything together. He's not the the D-list total slacker. He's one of the people in the middle who's like trying to obviously not be the least important on there, but he's still trying to do the least work possible and still come out ahead. And uh, then, and also just make sure that everyone knows that the true slacker is that guy. Doesn't he suck? Well, uh, on the flip side, uh, the junior partner uh, and power broker Miranda that he hooks up with, where do you think she falls in law school? Uh, She's a gunner, hundred percent. What's a gunner? So like, she's, she's the person who like, no matter what she has to get an A when a professor asks a question, she raises her hand immediately and she has the answer. And the even better time she has an answer is when someone else had the wrong answer. 
Like she's like, Ooh. oh, actually, it's because of blah 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 blah, and she goes oh, over the God, correct answer. Good. No, no, she's absolutely she, that. She she, a, she loves having the right answer, but she loves more having the right answer when someone else was wrong first. She's like, not only am I right, but this person's wrong, and I'm way better than they are, and that's why she became partner. Because in the movie, she doesn't seem that much older. At and, most, like two years older than him. So, At like, most. so she's a person that, like, not only did she get everything right and like probably burn herself out on hours, she stepped on people to get up there. That much is implied. But I will say, it also goes into '90s writing where it's like you pointed out she and the one other woman are partners in the firm, and the only way that they became partners was by being the absolute worst type of person to get there where every other person on there probably just was there long enough to become partner. Yeah. The next person well, is back to Jason Bernard, judge Stevens, which I, I, I had a feeling like he is a dude. He's been there forever. He probably went to law school way back in the day when law school was like a 500 bucks altogether to go to yeah. like it costs nothing. He went and like, he, he doesn't have time to research New stuff on the computer. He knows what his clerk tells him. He knows what his clerk looks up for him. That's it. He's not going to do more work than that. And he's just annoyed by any suit, any new sort of like controversy or any new sort of like dealing that an attorney has. He's like, this was so easy in my day. Why can't you just do it? Mm-hmm. No, absolutely. Uh, I, I, I envision uh, Judge Bernard as a, coming out into, and becoming a prosecutor out of law school and doing <laughs> that game for a little bit and being like, then like being like, Oh, lucks into a judge job and then just grinds it for three decades. Judges just like anyone in any profession, they don't want to be told what they don't know or how to do <laughs> something differently. I want to uh, pivot to, uh, I want to pivot to Dana Appleton, the attorney for the dad in this, that <laughs> poor bastard who, Married the wrong woman and, and by all accounts is a good father. And she, she seems like she's someone who she, there is some sort of thing where she probably comes from another big firm that does family law, but she seems like someone who is dedicated to family law where Fletcher seems like someone who's, he's dedicated to anything he can get that makes him more money or gets him up to partner. She no. seems more like someone who's like, I work family law because I want to do family law. That That's a good take. And uh, you know, I'm imagining Dana back in law school, just giving her affable. Uh, uh, I'm thinking she's one of the like nice people in law school. Matter of fact, <laughs> like, I mean, she does smart. seem pretty like cordial with yeah, him, no, no, like, she's smart. When she comes in. She's bright, you know, like, you know, good parents or like good upbringing. Like she's good value system. And like, and like, I think you're also right that, you know, she is a bigger for, well, listen, like this guy's a multimillionaire, her clients. So a he, thousand percent. Yeah. He's yeah, not hiring. He's, like, yeah. Yeah. He, he's not going to someone he saw on an, on a billboard. Uh, <laughs> and so she's got, she's got skills and this is, I think you're absolutely right. She, she is a, a pro in this area and thinks this is a slam dunk. And then just like everyone else overlooked the fact that, Oh, well, this marriage was invalid from the get-go. Uh, and I mean, she sees it as soon as Fletcher raises it. She's like, oh, fuck. She's more of a noble sort of lawyer. We're like, this is her area and her passion rather than someone who's like, I'm just here for a check. 
Yeah. Uh, and uh, for anyone listening to this, maybe inspired to watch this movie again, watch the outtakes because as good as she <laughs> is in the movie, she's awesome in the outtakes where she calls out Jim Carrey for being an overactor, you know, <laughs> little like, and, and like, it's just, it, it, it's just an amazing moment for her, who at this point is a bit actor. And uh, yeah, you've seen her in stuff before. Yeah. Like, oh, that lady, uh, that lady, for her to call out Jim Carrey <laughs> in the height of his prime, be like, overactor. And for him, and just she, you could tell, you could tell, like, she, like, she did that obviously to break him, and he's just like, fuck, that's good. Yeah, like, that's a cut deep. You nailed it. (laughs) Oh, who, me? Ace Ventura? (laughs) No. (laughs) Oh, shit. So, yeah. So, I mean, overall, like, a good movie for, for our, like, grading scale, like I said, we go out of 100. Uh, For those of you that don't know, when you take the bar, it's not a who got the best score, who got the worst score. Did you get over a certain amount? Okay, you're a lawyer now. Are you proficient? Yeah. Right. Yeah. It's not like, are you the best? It's like, do you know the basic part of the law? So with that, <clears throat> our thing is if you get over 50 on our grading, you pass the bar. If you don't, you don't. Yep. That's it. So, I mean, what what was your, out of 100, what was your grade on this movie? Oh, this easily passes the bar. Uh, you know, I put it in the like, you know, 80th or maybe a little higher percentile, both in terms of comedy, in terms of a legal movie. Yeah, it's probably it's probably lower, but it still passes just because it raises interesting legal things. And I think captures some actual realities of courtroom dynamics that most people think, oh, well, this is a comedy, but it actually does kind of capture some of the tensions and some of the some of the, you know, like roles that people have to play and things they have to do. Yeah. So, yeah, it passes the bar. Yeah. yeah, I mean, for me, I gave I gave it a straight eighty out of a hundred because I was like, you know what? It it's a fun, entertaining, good movie. And at the end of the day, yeah, there's some legal stuff that doesn't really make sense, but doesn't matter to the movie. Nah, doesn't matter at all. It's no. still a fun, good movie. So for me, I was like, I liked it. I enjoyed it. I encourage people to go watch it. Um, so that's 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 where I'll leave it is I think it's a good this is the legal fiction podcast we'll have more uh, coming up we're trying to release every other week um, if you yeah. have any in our in our uh, podcast uh, bio we'll have different places to follow us you can feel free to send us different movies to review um, we'll have some more coming out uh, we'll have the classics we'll have the big ones coming up but if you have any other big ones that it doesn't even have to have, it doesn't have to be the full focus of the movie. It can be like one little part for like, Hey, this one character went to jail and their lawyer or got arrested and their lawyer argued a little bit and they got out of it. That's totally cool with me That's too. Cool. And unlike some podcasts, we have actual jobs. Uh, <laughs> yeah. Unfortunately uh, with our jobs, they can just like suddenly have to be revising contracts at 9 p.m. on a Wednesday, <laughs> or you've got a sudden motion that just dropped four hours ago, and you're like, oh, we need a response because our deadline is put. And uh, so two weeks is a guideline, not a rule. Yeah, but we're, we're going to do exactly. our best to keep to it. So feel free, uh, please, like they always say, like, subscribe, give us five-star reviews, all that good stuff. Um, but for I'm Joe, that's Spencer. Remember, never talk to the cops, never go to law school, and remember, none of this is legal advice. Amen. Amen.